Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Exodus 19. They journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses went and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Um, the Lord, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes there's moments in scripture where you just laugh. Um, everything. Um, so I have a question for you. What, um, what in the world were you going to be when you grew up? Well, I love that you just told me out loud. So now that opened up, she just said, well, trainer, out loud. Y'all can now add more things. I love it. No, I love, I love it. I, I didn't expect it, and I love it so much. Okay, so uh, anybody else? What were you going to be when you grew up? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Learning so many things. How about you all? Um, I love this. I love this. Yeah, I wonder if you remember, if you haven't said it out loud or if you have it in, in the quiet of your heart, what were you going to be? <laughs> remember when that was the question like that we all had to answer, right? We all had to answer that question. What 
were you going to be? Uh, what a great question. Uh, what are you going to be? What am I going to be? And perhaps you've, maybe, maybe you've been in the same profession for a decade or two decades or uh, maybe approaching three decades now and maybe, or maybe you like me change careers halfway through and now you're finding yourself like actually in settling into the second career uh, and it feels like that question you were asking it was it's long behind you now but for the sake of today's conversation i want you to to think about this question as as largely unanswered still very wide open what do you suppose we are going to be, you and I, when we finally grow up? What are we going to be? If we are even just remotely adulting now, <laughs> um, there is likely something in us that rears back a little bit when, when we hear this question because um, like, we're not children anymore, right? Most of us are not children anymore. Surely we, we have our growing up behind us now, right? We've come a long way. We've, we've taken on serious responsibilities. We, we have made some hard decisions. We've been forced to make some hard decisions, and we've weathered crises. Surely the question isn't, what are we going to be now? Maybe it's like, what are we now? Or how well are we doing at being what we are now? What are we going to be? Can't be the question, right? For better or worse, those, um, those dice have been cast for most of us, and now we just need to get on with the game of life, right? We need to, whatever is left of it for us now, we need to just get on with it. That's what life is basically about from here on out, is just getting on with the what we decided to be. Last week, we answered our first question of this series, wrestling with the question, who is God? And today we get to the second question. If you're following in your mind at all, like I do, um, which is not what you all do, likely, but um, if you think about the story of God, the second question is getting to that next scene after creation, when we break everything, right? The fall. Except I'm going to get at it without ever talking about the fall today. Today we're going to wrestle with this question, who are we and what does God want from us? God wants something from us, right? Today as we get at this question, I'd like to suggest that we're going to have to first get over our tendency to reject that classic question of childhood. Instead, we're going to have to suspend ourselves in that question, what are you going to be? To answer this question at the core of our faith, what does God want from us? We're going to have to listen to the whale trainer. Was it, was it whale trainer? In, in each of us, right? Yeah. And also listen to the stories from scripture. Did you hear it today? This, this cloud 
gathers on the mountain as the book of Exodus describes it, and there's this flickers of lightning and claps of thunder, and they shake the whole earth and set the leaves and even God's people, us, trembling. And suddenly we hear this voice. We hear the sound of a a lamb's horn and this long, drawn-out, pulsing note that seems louder than even thunder and more frightening than than lightning. And, And out of that darkness, with that sound of the ram's horn, out of that mystery, we get a voice that says, Now therefore, let's see it. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. The Hebrew for this is um, segula, which means my precious one. My precious ones, I know you should hear it. Yeah, Um, my darlings. Uh, And then thousands of years after that, but still thousands of years ago now, there emerges this other voice in scripture, a voice of an old man um, dictating a letter. There's actually reason to believe that this old man may actually have been the one who up until the very end was the best friend that Jesus ever had. And this man, Peter, writes, So put all, away all malice and all guile, insincerity and envy and all slander, and like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, for you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And then he echoes that great cry out of like the thunder clouds of Exodus with a cry of his own, Peter does, and says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You should hear Exodus, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What are we going to be when we grow up? Not what are you going to do when you grow up or what profession are you, are you going to keep on following or what niche are you going to occupy in the order of society, but what are you going to be inside yourself, inside ourselves, among ourselves? That's the question God answers in the Torah at Sinai, and that's the question that this old saint, Peter, answers in this letter his letter, um, his letter from Rome. What are we going to be if God gets God's way with us? And the answer here is holy. In other words, what does God want from us? Holiness. And this is wildly unreasonable, folks. It's so unreasonable because it makes shambles out of all of our reasonable ambitions to be in this life. And that's not only the reason, because um, there is really no human possibility at all to be it. Because holiness is godness, right? And only God makes holiness even possible. But holiness is what it says God wants from us. Being holy is what growing up in the full sense of growing up even means. 
No matter how old we are or how much we've achieved or dreamt of achieving in this life, um, we are not fully grown until this, this extraordinary thing happens for us. That's what, that's what Peter says. That's what Exodus says. Holiness is what is to happen to us if we are grown up. Holiness is what God wants. Out of darkness, we are called into this marvelous light, Peter writes. Peter, who knew more about darkness than we, most of us, will ever know, and who had looked at the very face of light itself. And we're called to have faces like that, it says. To be filled with light so that we can be bearers of light. I've known, of, I've known a few faces like that. Have you? Have you known a few faces like that? Many of those faces um, might be the ones that come to mind for you when you walk forward um, on like the first Sunday of November and you light candles um, on All Saints Sunday. I've known faces in this life like that. Only one thing is worth really caring about. You shall be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it says. And yet Israel was never good at this, ever. Like the entire Old Testament is basically about Israel being horrible at this, wanting to be a nation like other nations, a nation like Egypt and a nation like Syria. And Israel wanted clout and Israel wanted security and she wanted a place in the sun. It was her own way that she wanted and not God's way ever. And when the prophets got after Israel for it, Israel got rid of the prophets, right? And when God's demands seemed too exorbitant, God's promises too remote, Israel took up with all the other gods instead who still get our votes and our money, right? And, and, and our nine-to-five energies too, because they are gods who could care less whether we are holy or not. They promise absolutely everything all the time. And we, everything we could ever really want and absolutely nothing that we could ever need. And so we can't blame Israel uh, because, of course, we are Israel. That's why the Bible still is so relatable, right? It's who on earth really wants to be holy? And the very word itself has fallen into such disgrace, right? Holier than thou. Oh, holy Joe. What a holy mess we've made of things, right? It's so... The word saint has also been, been diluted to someone with such stifling moral perfection that we like, would run screaming away from them if we ever actually met them in this life. Like, how... How much, how children, we are such children when it comes to this stuff, right? The way we do such terrible things with such wonderful words. We are, we're children in the way we keep getting lost. No wonder we keep needing to return to this question. Who do we want to be? What do we want to be? And yet we have our moments too, right? Like we have our moments. Every once in a while, we do where we actually long out of the darkness and misery to be what we were called to be. 
I bet you've seen this. Those moments when we hunger for holiness, even when we would never dream of using that word. There are moments, I think, when even in the midst of our own cynicism and and worldliness and childishness when it comes to these words, or maybe especially in them, when there is something about the saints of this earth that washes over us and and about knocks us over. And when I say saints, I mean like real saints, like real people, not the plaster ones, like or the, or the ones with all the platitudes, right? Or all the moral perfection. Like, human flesh people. I mean, saints who have their rough edges and their blind spots, like everybody else does, but whose lives are transparent to something so extraordinary that every so often it stops us dead in our tracks. Those people we would call those light bearers. I remember one time um, when I was a teenager, maybe like in 11th grade or something, I, one of our history teachers played for us on one of those, you know, no, um, no learning, only movie days at school, um, played for us. Uh, it was towards the end of the year, right? Um, teacher was done with us. And he played for us the movie Gandhi. And we were like the usual noisy teenagers, restless high schoolers, waiting for the lights to go down, to do all the things in the room, you know, pull out our stockpile of food we weren't allowed to have. Um, at this point, we started to get cell phones, pull out our cell phones we weren't supposed to have, um, and you know, um, move closer to our boyfriend or girlfriend, and, and then, um, and it was loud and it was <coughs> noisy, but I remember that by the time the movie came to an end, with like the flames of Gandhi's, funeral pyre, filling this screen, there was not a single sound or movement in the entire classroom full of like 15-year-olds. Like, we filed out of there teenagers, teenagers in this unmistakable silence. Peter says, you have, you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That that's what holiness looks like. like. And we had tasted it. We had tasted it in the life of that little bespectacled man with his bare feet and, and whatever he had in the way of selfless passion for peace and passion, passionate opposition to every form of violence in the world. And we had all of us tasted something that day in that classroom of at least for a few moments that made every other kind of life, every other thing we were doing feel empty. You know what that's like? You shall become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It says, can a nation even be holy? It it is so hard to imagine it, right? Some element of a nation, maybe some remnant of some people, maybe... You know, 
eight, the 18th century men and women who founded this nation dreamed such a highly and holy dream for us too and gave their first settlements names even to this idea of holiness, New Haven, right, and New Hope, and names that almost bring tears to your eyes if you listen to what they're actually saying when you think of Providence and Concord and Salem, which means shalom, the peace of God, dreams like that, like they die hard, right? <laughs> and we hope to God there is still some echo of that dream in the air around us, but for years now, the meek of the earth have been scared stiff at the power we use to blow the earth to smithereens a thousand times over, and, and at our failure year after year to work out with our enemies a way of significantly limiting that power, and, and, in, the, in, and in this richest of nations that we have, the poor go to bed hungry, if they're lucky enough to have a bed, because after the staggering amounts that we continue to spend on defending ourselves, there's not a lo enough left over to, to, for those who we are actually defending. And to, to give them roofs over their heads or decent schools or decent care when they're sick and old, uh, the nation that once dreamed of being this like new hope, new haven, for the world has become often throughout history a bully, convinced that it is right and that everyone else who disagrees with it is wrong. Maybe this is the way it ends for all nations, maybe. Maybe that is, it's just what is inevitable with a nation so huge and so complex that by definition there are so, they're so exclusively concerned with, with their own self-interest that they have no eye for holiness at all no ears to hear the great commands to the saints. No heart to break at the thought of what this, what this could be. No, it's you and I, it's you and I who are the ears and the eyes, right? You and I are the heart. It's to us that Peter's letter is addressed. So, so put away all malice and all, and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander and like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, grow up to salvation. Peter says, grow up. No ram's horn sounds in this text. They don't, he, he didn't need any. We've, we've always known what is wrong with us, the malice in us, even at our most civilized, the insincerity in us, the masks we do our real business behind, the envy, the way other people's good fortune can sting us, and all the slander, even when we love each other, all the slander. And it's also childish, and so Peter says, put it away, grow up into salvation, for Christ's sake, grow up. For old people, isn't it too late to grow up? Or for young people, isn't it a little too early to grow up? <laughs> I, I, like, I don't think so. We have, we have already tasted it after all, right? If we've tasted it, we can grow into it tasted the kindness of the Lord, as Peter puts it. Peter uses these words, the kindness of the Lord, when he talks about the holiness, the godness 
that God wants for us. What does God want of us? God wants us to grow up into salvation. God wants holiness. And how do we begin to glimpse this? That which is beyond even us to glimpse, right? The holiness that is holy God's, and yet is also said that it should be ours. If holiness is what God wants, how do you even begin to give God what God wants then? Peter says, by tasting the kindness of the Lord. Be kind, because although kindness is not by a long shot the same thing as holiness, kindness is one of those doors that holiness enters the world through, enters us through. It, it, not just gently kind, but also sometimes fiercely kind, right? Be kind enough to yourselves not to just play it safe with your lives for your own sake or think that you've already grown up because you know what you want to be, but to spend at least part of your lives for God's sake and for the, and for the world's sake if you believe in the world and thus to come fully alive with it. Be kind to this nation, even, of ours, by remembering that New Haven and New Hope and Shalom are the names, not just of our oldest towns, but of our holiest dreams, which most of the time are threatened by the madness of no enemy without as dangerously as they are threatened by the madness within, right? You have tasted the kindness of the Lord, Peter wrote in his letter. And ultimately, that, of course, is the kindness and the holiness and the sainthood, the sanity we are all called to, that kind of kindness, the kindness of God. So by that, God's grace, we may grow into salvation at last, right? Grow up. You know, on a Sunday like this, the... Um, the sounds of our silence right here in the space and the sense we have of each other's presence. We can't not. We can't be anonymous right now, right? And the feeling in the air that um, one way or another, we all, all of us here, we're all here to give ourselves and love to each other, but also to give God our love this kind of moment itself is a door for holiness to enter through. Would you pray with me? God, there's a reason um, why over and over again, you relate to us and talk about us as your children. It's not just a, never has been applied in scripture to just talk about those zero to 17, but all of us. We're all in need of growing up God, I don't 
I don't know exactly what I want to be, but I want it to be faithful to you. And so God, lead us on this journey towards growing in salvation, towards holiness, and help us throw away our childish ways of writing those words off as not relevant or making them something so tainted it's never what you meant. Make us people who want what you want, God. Who love like you love, God. Who love for God's sake and for the world's sake instead of our own sake. And give us, God, glimpses. Open our eyes to the ones you are, are already giving us, but give us glimpses as many as we can possibly just receive and process, God, of the kindness of the Lord at work in our midst. Believing that you are forming us, shaping us into what you want us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.